Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to our weekly podcast, Business Casual, with our co-hosts, Maria Wickvilla and Caroline Diorki edwards We're going to talk about myths today. You know, the MBA for some is something of a mysterious degree, a mysterious experience, and there are a lot of myths that are attached to the degree, and we want to explore them. Maria, do you have a number one myth? I think my number one myth about getting an MBA is that it is a magic wand to achieve, easily achieve any of the career options that are listed in the career outcomes report. So I think people look at those career outcomes reports and they look at the salaries involved and they, or, you know, maybe they see someone in the news and it says, oh, you know, 20 years ago, this person got an MBA from a certain school. And so they think, well, all I have to do is get into the school and then if that happens, boom, it's instantly, I'm instantly guaranteed the job at McKinsey. I'm instantly guaranteed a job at Goldman Sachs or whatever. And that is really not the case at all. I know you guys are probably sick of this little quip that I have, but it, you know, it's Harvard, not Hogwarts. It's not magic. They can't, they can teach you a lot, but they also cannot change the fabric of space, time, career vision continuum. Um, and so certain employers, it doesn't matter if you're at Harvard, INSEAD, LBS, Stanford, it doesn't matter. Like you're just, you you could eventually maybe get to that job that you want, but you might not get it straight out of business school. You might have to take a few detours and, and do a few preliminary steps to make that, to make a complete pivot into something like say private equity. Uh, and this is something that I think a lot of folks just, you know, they'll say things like, oh, I'm not sure. Like where, where will I eventually work? Will I like it more at McKinsey or at Bain? And I'm like, whoa, hold your horses. Like you need to get an offer. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of dominoes need to fall into place first to even be in that position uh, to begin with. So I think that's my number one myth. That's a good one. Caroline, your number one myth. From an admissions perspective, I think that perhaps the number one myth is the, the GMAT. And I often speak to candidates or I sometimes speak to candidates who think that if they can ace the GMAT, then they're almost guaranteed to get into a top school. And that is absolutely not the case, right? And then I also speak to candidates who count themselves out from applying to a top school because their GMAT isn't fantastic. So I think that often candidates put too much weight on the value of the GMAT in the admissions process and get their hopes up too much if they've done really well on the GMAT and think that that's going to open all of the doors for them. And it's you know, as we've discussed before, it's just one part of a much bigger picture. And it is important, but it is certainly not the be all and end all of what it takes to get into a top business school. It's just one part of a much bigger picture. So I would like candidates to keep that in mind when they are evaluating their chances for, for getting into a business school. I'll tell you, my number one myth has to do with the perception that many non-business majors have about business school. Many non-traditional students, and when I say non-traditional, I mean to a business school, believe that the population that centers around a business school is a group of people who are greedy, who are interested in nothing but money, and, and therefore have little to offer the world. And while that may seem to be an exaggeration, particularly for people who uh, don't feel that way, I can I can tell you that many people who major in other fields that are far away from business feel that, particularly those in the humanities. There's also what's happening, and probably for the last quarter of a century in the U.S., 
you know, humanity's education has been in tremendous decline. And part of that decline is caused by parents who are pressuring their kids to major in business at the undergraduate level, and then to go for graduate degrees, not in philosophy, geography, English, or whatever, but in business, because the fact that you can actually get a job and earn money and have a decent living. And to that extent, I think it's hardened the opinions of those who have stayed in the humanities about business. And the truth is very uh, opposite from those beliefs, which is, you know, you're going to find in a business school a remarkable array, uh, an eclectic group of people with fascinating backgrounds who come from all walks of life and all over the world. And the diversity of backgrounds and the diversity of opinions and perspectives and the desire to do something meaningful with your life is a powerful combination. Business school students are not naturally greedy and interested in only money. And uh, that has never been more true than it is today. That's my big myth. This is, this is a big pet peeve for me. Maria? And, and, you know, that's interesting that you actually bring up then a myth about undergraduate, the undergraduate experience, that you have to major in business, uh, especially I think parents and families, understandably, want to push their kids towards business, law, medicine. But, you know, just realize that a lot of these banks and consulting firms happily hire, readily hire people with English degrees, history degrees, philosophy degrees. It's more about how well can you think? Do you have a, a good you know, mind, basically? Uh, and some of the critical thinking and communication skills that you get as a humanities major are, in fact, more, more powerful in some ways, right? Someone who can crunch a ton of numbers, but who communicates in an off-putting way or who can't explain their thought process well you know, that person will actually be less successful typically in business than someone who perhaps, you know, you can teach someone how to add and subtract, <laughs> but you can't necessarily always teach those softer skills. So, you know, I don't know how many parents of high school people we have listening to us right now, but I would just urge that or urge you to not be so focused on on one specific major. So true. So true. What other myths are there out there that you've heard from candidates who are now considering an MBA degree, but have long delayed the consideration of one because of uh, one reason or another that turned out not to be true at all? Well, one that I think that often comes up is candidates hesitate because of the cost of a program and think that, you know, if they haven't got the financial means behind them already, then they can't afford to go. And it's it's true that it can be very off-putting when you look at the the, the fees and um, you know the the total cost of when you include all the living expenses, et cetera, et cetera, and and you take into account your foregone earnings for two years or, or one year. Um, it is a very expensive proposition. You know, there's there's no denying that. But you know, as as you can we've we've discussed in the past and. Uh, uh, the return on investment typically is is um, is very strong, especially if you go to one of the the top business schools, and th that I think is a useful data point that is reflected in some of the rankings. You know, we love to hate the rankings, but they do. Some of the rankings do collect useful data on the financial progress of MBA alumni, and certainly it it seems to show year after year that um, people are doing very well post MBA and that it really is generating a return. And then also, of course, you know, many candidates can qualify for scholarships and 
There's a lot of financial aid available, especially at the top schools, right? And many of them have very, very deep pockets. So, you know, if you are a candidate who comes from a background where, you know, perhaps you haven't had the opportunity to to earn a big salary or to save a great deal, then you um, may well qualify for quite substantial financial support. So, you know, I think it's a shame sometimes candidates count themselves out from going to business school or um, they count themselves out from applying to a top school because of the headline price and um, haven't necessarily realized that, you know, there's potentially a lot of financial support available to them. And in any case, you know, that that MBA degree will generate returns for them that will enable them to recoup their costs pretty quickly. Yeah, that's true. And then the other the other part of this is there there's there's the people who think it should be Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, or Bust. Or if I don't get into an M7 program, it's not worthwhile, right, Maria? Yeah, this is this is absolutely one of my my biggest pet peeves. I I really think people need to keep their eyes on the prize as to what attracted them to the degree in the first place. And those very benefits that Caroline was just mentioning, right? These are not, it's not a matter of, well, only the people from the M7 have good career returns and good results and everyone else is out of luck. No, all of these MBA programs, for the most part, right? Any sort of reputable program, not top seven, not top 10, but top 30, 50, uh, maybe even more can, can really provide a lot of value to you in your career. And it's interesting, you know, I, I, Sometimes people I don't think believe me, but I, I say to them, look, I, I know people from Harvard Business School who, you know, they have not necessarily succeeded. They have not necessarily, you know, gone on to make the big bucks. Some of them have even gone to jail. Uh, and yet one of the most, one of them, we're not going to, you know, cough, cough, cough. Uh, but it's true. And, and yet simultaneously within sort of my extended network of people I know, they're one of the most financially successful people by far went to UCLA Anderson. They have a, a UCLA Anderson has an amazing entrepreneurship program and people just don't, don't they either don't believe me or they they discount it. Uh, and really it's the person makes the school and it's not the school makes the person. Again, it's not it's not Hogwarts. It's not like they put a sorting hat on you or they wave a, a magic wand and now you're suddenly this amazing entrepreneur. You're suddenly transformed and you're a completely different person than the person you were going in. If you believe in yourself, which hopefully you do on some level, otherwise you wouldn't even be applying, you should believe in yourself that you're going to make, you're going to have a lot of success regardless of whether or not you go to a top five, 10 or 25 school. And the, and, and to the, to Caroline's point about the, you know, people being afraid of the cost and, and hesitating because of the cost, you know, yes, there is financial aid available, but there is, I think, less financial aid than perhaps there was for people at the undergraduate level. Because they do take into account things like your more recent, your most recent salary, uh, and so maybe somebody who did get a big scholarship to go to undergrad and is now working in finance, they might be expecting the same treatment again this time around, and it might not happen. And and what I say to people, even if they don't get a scholarship, is you know a school is when they accept you, they're taking a bet on you, they're placing a bet on on you versus the other people that they rejected for that same spot. And if they are willing to place a bet on you by giving you one of these coveted spots, you need to be willing to place a bet on yourself. Because how can you go to a school and say, yes, I deserve, you know what, I'm going places school. You need to, you're going to want me in your alumni pool. You're going to want me to, to represent you 10, 20 years from now. And yet you're not willing to make to, to put your own skin in the game. So that's my that's my sort of tough love to those folks. Uh, Maria, I'm shocked that you would point out that Harvard MBAs from your own alma mater would be in jail. 
<laughs> I mean, I but don't love it. I know. <laughs> not... We actually do know a few. And if you if you uh, actually were to search on Poets and Quants, you'll find them. You definitely will. <laughs> but I think all business schools have alumni who they probably regret admitting to the school, <laughs> right? Um, it, do, it does happen. <laughs> and I, I also know people who have been to top schools who are floundering in their careers. And, and some of the most successful people I know are not people who've been to top 10 business schools, who've been to other business schools. So um, it's absolutely right that you know it's 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 about who you are and what you make of the experience and some people will be incredibly successful going to a tier two or a tier three business school yeah that's that's really true and you know when you look at the roi data that it, it does turn out that uh a lot of times the people who go to a uh, a school that is not ranked very highly uh, have a bigger increase, have a bigger MBA bump immediately after getting the degree than those uh, who go to an elite school. Now, part of the reason for that is you have to be quite accomplished to get into a Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, NCI, or London Business School, and you probably are earning a good amount of money to begin with. So the actual percentage bump may not appear to be as big uh, as it would be from someone who is applying to, let's say, a public university that's not in the top 20 or top 25. And then the employer rewards that person very handsomely upon graduation. So you tend to get a, a, a bigger bump immediately. A longer term, I think that all gets ironed out. And it does. It, there's no doubt we've done some research with firms that show that generally the higher ranked schools do return a larger lifetime income number than the lesser ones. I, you know, no, another myth I think about the MBA is that it's essential to be successful in business. You know, we know that it isn't essential. We know that I think it does increase the odds that you will have a more meaningful career and be in a position to make a more meaningful contribution in your job but it still isn't an essential ingredient to success in the world of business. I would rather have it than not. And one of my big regrets is never having gone to get an MBA when I was much younger. But what do you two think about that? Well, John, I don't think that you have suffered through not having gone to business school. And I, I think I think somebody should give you an honorary MBA degree for your contributions to the industry. <laughs> But absolutely true. I mean, I think, you know, I've heard that they say at HBS, you know, when, at the, um, when, when the students join that, you know, you do not need to be here to be successful. You would be successful in any case, right? That, that cohort of students who have, have managed to get into a school like Harvard Business School um, do not need that experience in order to be successful in their lives. They would be successful, right? But the wonderful thing about going to business school is that it opens doors that might otherwise have been closed. So perhaps you will, you know, you'll be able to do things that you wouldn't otherwise have been able to do. And you'll be successful in a different dimension than you might have been if you had not gone to business school. And I think, you know, there's also, you know, I live in here in Silicon Valley and um, you often hear comments coming up about how, going to business school is, is not valuable for, um, you know, we've heard comments from that from about that from Elon Musk and Sheryl Sandberg and various others in the tech industry. And, you know, so, so yes, maybe, maybe 
you don't have to have a, a business degree or um, have gone to business school to do well, but it certainly reduces, it, it opens doors and it reduces risk, right? So if you want to be an entrepreneur and you go to business school, you're going to have a much stronger foundation, which will enable you to increase the chances of being successful if you do start your own business or you join a startup, right? It, it, it reduces the chances of you failing because of, you know, some aspect of, you know, whether it's whether it's cash flow or not understanding the process for fundraising or not having enough strategic perspective. You know, the, the wonderful thing about business school is it gives you that that breadth of understanding across all aspects of business and gives you the ability to tackle any business challenge. And and that that is an incredibly valuable basis to have if you're going to to start your own business. So whilst people do sometimes say, you know, an entrepreneur doesn't need to go to business school and, you know, it doesn't, having an MBA isn't terribly valuable for that type of profile. I, I completely disagree. Yeah. And you, and you know, Caroline, when, when I uh, was making the decision to go to business school, the, the very, very nice and very smart uh, billionaire scion who ran the company I was working for at the time came and tried to talk me out of it. And, you know, he was making the argument, the, the argument about getting in as well as going, uh, he was making the argument of like, well, you don't need this because you, the way you're going, you're doing so well, you'll be running a division within X number of years anyway. And what, and that was a good, it was a good, it was a very compelling argument, but what ultimately tipped the scales for me was this idea of probability of, I, I had seen other people in this company be elevated to run a division or to you know, perform an acquisition for the company. And then once they, they're in charge of the acquisition, then they go to run it once it's part of the, if it's been sort of integrated. And I had also seen people just fail miserably. Uh, and I thought to myself, the ultimate reason that ultimately tipped me was I thought, well, if I'm going to get one of these jobs anyway, eventually, isn't it worth it for me to spend two years to really make sure that I know what I'm doing so that if I get that job, it's not a guarantee of success. But at least I am limiting, I am increasing the probability of success. It's not 100%, but maybe I've increased it from, say, 25 to 40% or something along those lines. And so that was what ultimately convinced me. True. And, that, and, we're, and there we're talking about basic skills and tools that you gain from the MBA. We're not even going into the whole area of the value of that network of, of people, like-minded people who want to make a real difference in the world and who think that this degree can help them do that. And having those folks on your side as friends, and at least in school, as colleagues even, is a tremendous advantage for a lot of people. And I think, you know, that's a really key part of any great MBA program. So I think we debunked a, a good number of very popular myths. I want to add one. Uh, I'm not so sure that anyone who does their homework would consider this a myth anymore but i but i want to put it out there because while a lot of progress has been made in enrolling more and more women in business schools i think there is still a persistent belief that business schools are largely male dominated cultures that are less welcoming to women and particularly female students i think that's that is a myth today Yes, there are fewer female faculty members than there should be. Yes, there are fewer female protagonists and case stories, uh, case studies than there should be. But by and large, I think the most most business schools have very well embraced and welcomed female applicants and students in a way that makes them feel very included 
in most business school cultures. Do you two agree? Yes, yes, absolutely. And actually, if there's one other thing I could add to the list of common myths, John, I sometimes speak to candidates who think that they don't have a good chance of getting in because they have a non-traditional profile, right? So maybe they are a journalist or they're a lawyer or you know, even a musician. And, and um, you know, I remember an had admitting a poker player. And, and so sometimes people think that, well, you know, I don't have, I'm not a management consultant, I'm not an investment banker, right? You know, I don't have the, the, the profile that they're looking for. And in fact, often it's the non-traditional candidates who actually have a much better chance of getting right. in. Is I love too many of the others. <laughs> yeah, I love working with the non-traditional candidates because they often have fascinating stories and, you know, really interesting ambitions and, you know, fascinating motivations for heading off to business school and, you know, the dream of what they want to do in the future. So actually, they often have a better chance of getting in than those profiles that they think are the, the typical feeder profiles into business school, which unfortunately, you know, often there are way too many investment bankers and management consultants applying to business school and their chances can actually sometimes be surprisingly slim. True. Well, there you have it. All right. For all of you out there, we hope we have debunked any of the myths that perhaps you may have had about an MBA program. And what you can tell from this discussion is we are all in. We believe in this education. We're tremendous ambassadors and advocates for it. You don't have to convince us. Well, thanks for listening. This is John Burr with Poets and Quants. 